0: Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 7 of Arts Interrupted, the Michigan Daily's premier arts and culture podcast. This is our fourth installment of our Spotlight Artist Series. Today we have LSA and Stamps Jr., Arielle Friedlander. Um, Arielle is not only an amazing illustrator, but frequents many local clubs on the weekends as the drag queen, Diabete. But before we get to that, here's a weekly roundup from myself and our new hire, Emily Ohl.
1: Yes. So... First up today, uh, R. Kelly is going to jail. On Friday afternoon, he was indicted on 10 counts of av- ag- aggravated criminal sexual abuse. His bond is set at a cool $1 million. So I think this is well deserved. It's mm-hmm. about time. This is the remix
0: to Ignition, hot and fresh, into prison. Someone had to say it. Thank you. Thank you are <laughs> welcome. Also, um, New Tudor Cinema Club, perhaps. Um, hopefully it's better than their third album, which personally was bad. I yeah. will <laughs> say it, I did not
1: listen to it. Yeah, it did it not bad. excite it really, me. It
0: was like the game show or something like that. And it was just very it was pretty poppy, I Nothing guess. Nothing can
1: top tourist history.
0: <laughs> okay. In my don't, I don't want to start. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> also, Offset came out with the new album. He's the last of the unit of the Migos. <laughs> To um, release an album, it has lots of features, including his baby mama, Cardi, J. Cole, Travis Scott, 21 Savage, Gucci, and Gunna. So,
1: give it a listen if that's your thing. Yeah. Something new out there. Next up, did Ja Rule put a curse on the Timberwolves? After a delayed and, quote, awkward set, the NBA team tweeted we too were hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray, which is famously something that Ja Rule said in response to the Firefest Fest controversy. Um, ja responded with, you just jinxed yourself talking to the god this way. You're cursed now. You won't win a championship for the next 30 years, dot, 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 and Kat is leaving. Apologize, and I'll lift the curse. Kiss emoji, kiss of death. Well said. Well, I mean, like, I... <laughs> Put that on my grave. I don't, yeah. like, so <laughs> I wouldn't want to be cursed by Ja Rule. No, like what's gonna happen to the Timberwolves now? Like they're they they will make make the never, they will never, never win a game win again. again. <laughs> so it's
0: official. Game over. Um and then we also have a hostessless Oscar results. Um we have <laughs> hostessless Oscar results. I said that. Um first of all, Green Book won Best Picture, which is um A little bit of a controversy, um, considering that um, many people think that this showcases the, it's a movie that showcases the black American
1: experience, but it's through a white lens. Um, Yeah, it was, you know, mainly produced by white people. The family of Don Shirley, the black man that was portrayed, was, like, not consulted at all, and just was, like, people were saying that it was a very antiquated, like, and racist portrayal, Mm -hmm. and just not... Appropriate for our times, especially with like other movies like Black Klansmen that mm-hmm. came out this year that had like much more timely uh, representations. Definitely. And then we also have Rami Malik,
0: Malek, one for best actor. And that also comes with some controversy. Yeah, you know, it's as well. It as, as it was produced by um, Brian Singer, yes. who um, was accused of sexual assault. And um, Olivia Coleman won for um, best actress. Yeah, which, I think that was well
1: deserved. Yes, people
0: were very. She beat Glenn Close, which was yeah pretty surprising. Yeah. I would say, um, but she was also quite surprised herself. Yeah, she no said. <laughs> and
1: she's like in her acceptance speech. She was like, "This will never happen again." And she, no. was, which <laughs> yeah. I think was a little sad, but it was like I yeah. think my favorite speech of the night. It was mm-hmm. very genuine, and I think she's a really cool person. Definitely. And then we've got Regina King, one best supporting actress for If Beale Street Could Talk, which again also Great. very well deserved. Great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Mahershala Ali, one best supporting actor for Green Book. And I think with this one, you know, we can maybe support Mahershala and yeah. not Green Book. Like we Agreed. can be proud of him. Yeah.
0: Good actor. Right.
1: right. Did Great. a good job. Yeah. Separate things.
0: Yeah. Um, also a short documentary. That one was period, end of sentence. Um, it's about female menstruation in India. Um a lot of people were very happy about those results as it talks about an issue that, you know, isn't really covered that but
1: often. But it still affects women all around the world. Definitely. Especially in more developing countries. So mm-hmm. super cool. And then Spike Lee won his first ever Oscar for best adapted screenplay. He was pretty thrilled about that. Uh, jumped up and hugged Samuel L. Jackson, Ugh, which is adorable. Yes. Yeah. I would site. take a hug from Samuel L. Jackson. I w- I wouldn't say no. No, I would not say no. Shoulders, you know. <laughs> He's just so much to hold on to. Yes. Um. But after Green Book won Best Picture, he was apparently very angry. Got up, almost left the theater. Mm, they wouldn't let him. Yeah. He was very frustrated, which I don't blame him. Yeah, considering his like work history, and, yeah. With <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: He was notably
1: snuffed before. Mm-hmm. Um. So with a similar movie drama yeah, stazy exactly 30 years ago and you know some things don't change unfortunately mhm
0: and then Ruth E Carter and Hannah Beachler became the first African-American women to win for costume design and production design
1: yeah i think that's super awesome um the winner for costume design she's like i believe she designed the costumes for Spike Jones's or um Spike Lee's first movie which is super cool oh, nice. so like you know, she said in her speech This a is a long time <laughs> yeah, coming. It's been a minute. Yeah. So I think that's awesome for her. Mhm. And then last but not least, shallow. Shallow one, best song. Great performance also by Full of sexual tension. So much. You could cut it you with can a knife. You could feel it. <laughs> you could feel it. Um but I think, you know, Lady Gaga on her way to an EGOT, I think. Yes. That would be wild. Cool. Yeah. She doesn't
0: have a Tony? She does have a
1: Tony.
0: Really? Wait, no, she doesn't. No, no she, she, doesn't she doesn't have doesn't. a Tony, but there can be 100 people in a room, and 99 of them don't believe in you, but all it takes is one. That's what we've
1: learned from That's Lady what Gaga. we've learned on this on this long, long road to the Oscars. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> Only one takeaway one. you can have. That's all we got. Yeah. All right. So, you're all wrapped.
0: Turn the world on its head. Don't forget what? Don't forget what my mama of time, your bills, All right, so today we're here with Arielle Friedlander, also known as Diabetes, and today we're going to be talking about, did I say that right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and today Nailed we're going to be talking about her art, but also her drag, which yeah. is very interesting and we're excited. So to begin, we just want to give people who might not know an idea of what is drag, both traditionally and in your own opinion. So drag has a long history. Um, But
2: for most people, I'd say it means a man impersonating a woman. But in the drag community, that's a pretty outdated definition. And I think drag is just the hyperbole of gender expression, whether you're a woman performing as a drag king, which is traditionally more masculine, or you're a man impersonating a woman, or if you're like me, a woman
0: impersonating a woman. Got it. And um, so just your background of how you got into drag, we've noted that drag is more than just an interest, it's a very creative and intricate process. Um, it's very elaborate in terms of makeup and costume. So first, how'd you get into it and how did you like find your own style?
2: So I first got into drag probably in high school. I came out as bisexual in eighth grade and that's when I got really excited about LGBTQ media in general. And like most people, I was introduced to drag through RuPaul's Drag Race, the television show. However, they only have men on that show, or up until recently, where they've had a couple trans women on the show. Um, So I never thought drag was for me until I was on Instagram, and one of my favorite drag queens, Creme Fatale, she did a Transformation Tuesday post, and I realized, that's a woman, Mary! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I can do drag. Women can do drag. And that just opened up everything for me. Mm-hmm. And I was in this radical activist group called Rad Fun. And we were organizing this end-of-the-year protest slash guerrilla fashion show. Great. Great. And <laughs> um, I realized, well, I had to pull a look, honey. And you so do. I did. It's required. Yeah. So I decided that would be my first time out in drag. I painted my entire body pink. I wore... Um, pink bondage rope tied into a Satan harness on my chest and I had a green curly wig and two uh, pink glittery dildos for antenna and love it yeah that was diabetes
0: did you make it yourself or did you buy the dildo antennas
2: it was actually from this giant pile of like donated clothes and accessories we wanted it to be very cooperative and obviously radical so it was a lot of donating and I actually donated like my entire closet (laughs) for people to borrow and share it was so fun yeah
0: so in terms of like makeup and costume do you usually stay the same or do you tend to like switch it up every so often
2: one of my biggest insecurities for a while in drag was that I didn't have a specific look actually Mm -hmm. because a lot of queens they have one makeup look they do they have one aesthetic and you know capitalism and branding are very in right now and I never was able to identify with like one look Mm -hmm. or one aesthetic pretty much in any art I've been doing and so yeah I don't really think that I have a signature look. I've recently found a makeup that I'm pretty comfortable with and will usually base most of my looks around but I always am changing it up. Um, I think a lot of my drag has to do with concepts so Rather than dancing or pulling looks, a lot of my drag has to do with radical types of performance. And I think that's more what I'm known for rather than like a specific aesthetic.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you taught your, did you teach yourself drag makeup like by watching tutorials or like have you always just been really like good at it?
2: Well, as a cis woman in my everyday life, I love makeup. Uh And so I kind of already had a little advantage there. But um, I was actually pretty insecure that my drag makeup looked basically just like an exaggeration Mm -hmm. of my everyday glam makeup. Mm -hmm. And so my drag mother, Ariana Grinder, another University of Michigan queen, (laughs) and she really took me under her wing Mm -hmm. and um, taught me some tips and tricks and helped me feel more comfortable. Um, transforming my face and just talking to other artists and other performers was really what helped me start to experiment with my look and try new things out. My sister Zaya, who actually was a study abroad student here last year, she went on Photoshop and took a selfie of me and designed an entire eye look for me. And ever since then, I've really been going for Mm -hmm. that. Um, So it's very communal. A lot of the teaching you get just from talking to other queens in your area or youtube.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you explain what a drag mother is?
2: Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a really hard question because I think a lot of people when you talk about any type of relationship, they want a really immediate understanding. Mm-hmm. And when people hear the word drag mother, I think they assume like some kind of motherly figure, which is correct. She's very much a maternal figure in my life. But she's also my best friend, Mm -hmm. and um, I think a lot of people don't understand how much respect I have for her Mm -hmm. as a mother. Being a daughter of Ariana Grinder means that I am at every single one of her shows, and I'm helping her out, I'm her number one fan, I'm like her assistant, and so there's that form of respect. But then also on stage we perform together, we call ourselves Art Flop, and Mm -hmm. um, in our duo performances we usually end up getting a little incestuous (laughs) and that really confuses people and they're like so she's your mom but are you also dating and we're like like, yeah (laughs) we're we're not dating but of course we we, you know we are very intimate and we have a really close relationship and I respect her a lot and Mm -hmm. I look up to her like she is my mom but she's also my best friend and she's Mm -hmm. also I'm also her assistant and it's really special I I have, I'm so grateful for her and all of her other daughters. I think we have such a beautiful community that I really don't think most uh, cis heterosexual yeah. people would necessarily understand, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm okay with
0: that. Perfectly fine. And um, your name is a play on being diabetic, correct? Yes. How it's did a- you, like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, where did that come from? <laughs> well, it's really funny because I think a lot of people, they hear the name Diabetes and they automatically assume... I'm ableist, and they're like, "Wow, you're making fun of a disability." I'm like, "Bitch, I am diabetic. I'm reclaiming my own disability. Yes. You're ableist, okay?" Um, <laughs> so I'm a type one diabetic, and I—I I mean, it's always something. I've been—it's been really hard for me. Mm-hmm. I'm recently trying to explore it more in my art, and having my drag name as diabetes is really encouraging me to use my platform Mm -hmm. to talk about diabetes Mm -hmm. and diabetic issues. So I'm excited for what the future of my art and drag will look like as someone who's an advocate for diabetics. Um, I haven't gotten the chance much to explore it yet, and it's such an internal struggle too because it's a real disability and it's hard to talk about. It's so stigmatized. But by being diabetic, I bring some light to it, and um, everyone – I've talked to that's a diabetic, they love it. I I sometimes have debated changing my name Mm -hmm. because I thought it didn't really sound like a name. I'm not much of a comedy queen, so I didn't know if it was wrong for me to have a pun name. But whenever I'm doubting my name, there's some diabetic that finds me online or is in the audience and they're like, oh my gosh, I love your name. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I I can't change it.
0: (laughs) So when performing, do you usually perform in Ann Arbor or Detroit? Like what are your favorite spots?
2: So yeah, I usually perform in Ann Arbor. It's so funny because you know we're basically in the middle of nowhere, and yet we have so many amazing drag venues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say it's we have a better scene than even like Philadelphia or some bigger cities on the East Coast. We have so many venues and they're all so open to so many different types of drag. My favorite, I think, is probably Candy Bar, which is a weekly show at Live, mm-hmm. um, and. It's run by this lesbian married couple, um, one of whom is the DJ, Selena Stiles, and she's a trans woman. And so they just create such a safe and welcoming space for all types of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we really have that Mm -hmm. in, in a ton of venues here. I think a lot of people think that a lot of these bars are more open than they actually are. And they're really just looking for a very specific type of person, um, and they're not really looking to actually uplift the community. They're looking to exploit them for money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that space that's made for me to feel comfortable and to feel supported and affirmed is so important. And so I really love Live, and um, but I also love Outbar, and um, Ypsilanti has some amazing drag, mm-hmm. the There's a house called Pop-Tart that's one of my favorites, and Detroit has some really great drag too. Um, Gender Bender, there's an amazing show called Nightlife at Deluxe Flux, which is the coolest venue, and um, the person who puts that together, Lou Ramo, he puts on the best show all about supporting artists, all about supporting your drag, whether it's your first time in drag, or it's, you know, you've been doing it for years. And it's just all about supporting different types of queer people, different types mm-hmm. of artists, and I love that. I mean, I'm so, so lucky to
0: have such a supportive community, again, like, in the middle of nowhere in right. the Midwest. And when you say, like, a good drag show, like, what exactly does that mean? Like, a, a good venue? Just I mean, a good venue? Supportive, and, but, like, in terms of, like, like performance. So a good venue you is a venue that supports all types of drag, all mm-hmm. types
2: of performers. They don't just, you know, hire... Men dressing up as women. They hire um, drag kings, um, cis women doing drag, which I hate this name, but they're usually called bio queens, and um, burlesque, and all types of backgrounds, and they make them feel safe, and they and they pay them. It's really important. <laughs> and then, um, but a good and and the the energy has to be amazing, mm-hmm. which is what I love about live too. Whether you. It's your first time doing dragon, your wig falls off and you flop. Everyone is cheering for you and they're all paying <laughs> Does you. Has that happened to you? Um, I've, I've definitely had some missteps. <laughs> my first time performing was at Out Bar, and I had a reveal where I, I took off a coat and it like landed on one of the pipes on the ceiling. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it was awful. I mean, it was my first time. But yeah. Yeah. And so those are... That's, that's what makes a good venue, but what makes a good show, I think, is so subjective. Because a lot of drag queens, I think especially because of RuPaul's Drag Race and the type of cattiness that that show encourages, they think, oh, well, you're not a good drag queen unless your makeup looks like this and you can dance like this and you make these types of jokes. No, 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 no. These 16-year-old Reddit twinks have never been to a drag show in their life. And <laughs> <laughs> all types of drag are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, Not everyone does the same makeup. Not everyone can dance. I am living proof of that. (laughs) Um, You know, some people, they don't even perform at all, and that's valid, too. And so I think as long as you can engage people, make them feel something, Mm
0: -hmm. that's good drag. So when you are on stage, is it nerve-wracking? Or maybe the first time, how have you progressed since then when you're performing? And what exactly do you do? Because I know it's very different for different types of drag yeah um, I mainly
2: do lip syncs okay. well, um, but I also love just talking on Instagram and taking photos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think social media is a great um outlet for drag, and I've been really trying to like grow my platform on there. but um my favorite is doing shows and performing and doing lip syncs, um usually lady Gaga, because she's just my queen. Um, but it's I have major anxiety and Again, I owe so much to Ariana grinder because I swear she has to talk me off the ledge every time I'm about to go mm-hmm. on stage. I am convinced I'm the ugliest person, I'm not talented, everyone's going to hate me. And then I have to like let myself just take a breath, like really get into character, become my character. What we call, quote, feeling your fantasy. It's real, I mean people joke about feeling your fantasy, but when you're feeling, when you transform, when you put those, when you glue the lashes on, you put the wig on, (laughs) you're a different person. Like, I am not Ariel, I am diabetes, and I am the hottest person in the room, and nobody can tell me otherwise. So, feeling my fantasy is so important, Mm -hmm. and that's what makes me feel like I can get up there, and I run the show, you know? Yeah. when I'm on stage and it's a good show, it's good energy, the crowd, it's so much relies on the crowd. If the, if the crowd's not boosting you up, it's gonna be a bad show. I'm not gonna be performing as Daya. Right. I'm gonna be Ariel and I'm gonna be nervous up there. But if it's a good energy and I get up there, I, it's just, there's nothing like it. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. I'm just in the zone. Um, I feel like I'm giving my all. I am I like feel like I'm a celebrity. I'm just owning it. It's beautiful and magical, and it's so healing. It's so healing. As someone with awful, awful anxiety, I've realized that if I go, like, two weeks without performing, I feel like shit about myself. <laughs> like, it really is healing yeah, to so me.
0: That's that's my question. Like, since performing, like, in drag, has it changed your, like, confidence, just everyday confidence, or just is it just a, like, specific moment for you? I think it has
2: because not only just because of that feeling, your fantasy, what that does to you mentally, but also just meeting so many amazing people. And my life has changed just from talking to drag queens here on the East Coast uh, in my hometown, online, and um, learning what they have to say as queer people and what they've been through. And these people I really, really look up to, these queens, Them affirming me and what I do, that lifts me up, you know? When I can't feel good about myself, but these queens who are the most inspiring people in the world to me, them being able to say what you do is good, like,
0: that's irreplaceable,
2: you know? Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that.
0: Yeah. Just maybe in general or um, perhaps on Ann Arbor campus, have you seen an increase in interest in drag? Well, it's really interesting because despite having such an amazing – scene
2: for drag in Ann Arbor and like the greater metro Detroit area. Um, for a while, I was the only undergrad doing drag. Recently, there has been another queen, Lacey Lingerie, who started, um, and of course, Arna Grinder, but she's a grad student. She's um, a psychology s- student. So I hope that more people actually on the University of Michigan campus start doing drag, and um, I hope they start to get involved with the local scene. We're lucky that A lot of these students do come out and support us but um, I'd love to start seeing like a scene within the campus yeah you know like I want to see a University of Michigan drag show uh, and student scene it's I think it's so funny I mean we have one of the best um, we're one of the best schools for music theater and dance and yet like I don't think anybody in that program really does drag or at least they don't perform locally Um, It's really interesting because pretty much every other major university has a pretty big drag scene. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: I know you've already touched on this a little, but like, what does it mean to be a female drag queen um, as it breaks the normal tradition of what people might know about it being performed by men? Um, It's very weird (laughs) being a woman doing drag because,
2: um, again, to me, it's all about feeling my fantasy. I'm transforming into a different person. You know, like, a regular cis woman doesn't typically wear couch cushions on their hips and double-stacked wigs and eyelashes that are, like, five inches long, right? So I'm definitely doing drag, yet. Um, And drag has always had women. I mean, some of the first American drag artists were at Stonewall, you know? Marsha and Sylvia, drag queens, trans women. And so it's so funny when people try to tell me I'm appropriating drag because I don't think they actually know where drag comes from and that drag has always been about women. And so it's so strange how people have their problems. And again, even RuPaul um, has said some very transphobic things and some really ignorant things about women doing drag and he doesn't want women on his show. And it's, it's just like, guys, it's, it's 2019. Yeah. Gender is a construct. Tear it apart, as Sasha Fuller says. And it's silly that it's still a conversation. It's so silly that people still get mad because you know the people who are getting mad about um, women doing drag, for the most part, aren't actually in the drag scene. They're just on Twitter and have some balls, I guess. <laughs> so Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but hopefully within the next few years
0: Um, women are more accepted in the scene. Yeah. And just kind of shifting for a minute, um, you're also in Stamps and LSA? Yeah, I'm a dual
2: degree student. Uh, At LSA, I'm studying history of art, and at Stamps, I'm studying art and design.
0: Yeah, and so, like, what kind of art do you do?
2: So, just like my drag, it's so hard for me to nail down one aesthetic or one medium I really um, take interest in. But uh, recently... I've been really into creating um, art that has to do with HIV awareness, so educational materials. I've also tried to incorporate performance art into what I do because I believe that drag is performance art. And I kind of had this realization that protesting in all forms is also a type of performance art. And I've been involved with campus activism and um, protesting all over the country for a while now. I just never thought of it as performance art, but I think in a lot of ways it is. So I'm trying to incorporate that more into my art too, but I also love illustration, ceramics, painting,
0: everything. Everything. I don't even know. Yeah. (laughs) And um, can you elaborate more on the type of activism that you've been doing? So uh, last summer I got really involved with ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to
2: Unleash Power in New York City. And um, I we called it an internship, but they don't actually have jobs or positions that mm-hmm. act up. I just um, I just started showing up to meetings and doing what <laughs> I could. But at the end of the summer, I ended up organizing a protest inside of the Whitney um, Museum of American Art inside of the David Wanaaroich retrospective. Um, David Wanarovich was a AIDS artist who, unfortunately passed away and this was his first ever retrospective it was beautiful but I felt like it didn't address the current AIDS crisis and that even though you know he didn't live into the 21st century if you're not addressing current AIDS issues in uh in a gallery exhibit about AIDS then people are unfortunately going to believe that just like all the art on the wall it's a memorial it's history so I organized um a Protest slash performance art piece, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Inside the Whitney, um, where we held up new artist statements next to the pieces that were um, addressing current AIDS issues. They were all articles within the past year that I felt related to the pieces on the wall by um, Wanarovich, and it ended up being super successful. It kind of blew up in a way that we didn't expect it to, but that was really rewarding. Um, So, a lot of my activism recently has focused around act up, but um, I you know I like to wherever I feel like I'm needed, I try to lend a helping hand so whether that's just leftist causes or recently getting involved with if not now um, to end the occupation of Palestine and again trying to incorporate um, diabetes advocacy into my
0: work. So yeah, yeah everything, bit of everything really. <laughs> And then just kind of like, where do you want to go from here? Like, are you pursuing a career in the art field? Do you plan on doing drag for the, like, what's the plan? You might not have one, that's really okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, like, when people ask where what you're
2: doing mm-hmm. in school, they like, usually want to know uh, <laughs> what you're going to do with that degree. Right. Um, and I'm getting the two most useless degrees on the planet, correct? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's okay. So, but um, I've been looking at... Um, museum education as a big thing I would love to work in education departments at art museums to help show people that art is not a luxury of the elite but art is for and by the people it always has been so everybody has a place in art everybody has a place in art museums and so I want to work within museums to help bring art to the public and to help people realize that um, art is for them and so which is actually very much related to how I feel about drag, because so many people tell me, oh, if I were a man, I'd love to do drag. And I say, no, excuse me, drag is for everyone. Drag always has been for everyone. You have a place here. So um, it's been really rewarding to show people that through my art, my art history, and my drag. Perfect,
0: well, I feel like that should be pretty good. Thanks for joining us. Cool. That was awesome.
2: Thank you. Are you ready? Are you
1: ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Your makeup is terrible. Your makeup is terrible. Your makeup Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Arts Interrupted. Thanks again to our special guest, Ariel Friedlander. And per usual, the show is brought to you by our host, Sam Small. Our executive producer, John Fabi Baby Fabian, Associate Producers Sean Lang, myself, and Olive Scott, as well as our assistant producers Livy McKenzie, Mina Kambash, and Emily Ohl. Thanks again, folks. Tune in again in two weeks after our spring break. Yeehaw. Hey guys, what's up? Today we've got a chill lo-fi creme brulee beat to study to